Let's, uh, let's talk. I want to start today. I just want to ask a question because I like to do this. How do we create spaces in ordinary conversation to share our faith in Jesus? How do we do that? And how can we do that without taking a hard right or hard left in the middle of a conversation, all of a sudden making everything kind of weird? Those are just a couple of questions we're hoping we can kind of dive into today and maybe have some answers. We're officially ending our all-in series, this idea of reach. Jesus was all-in reaching out to us, and we want to be all-in as we reach out to others. Right? And you're all in as you reach out to others. So last week we talked about hindrances to evangelism, things that keep us from telling people about Jesus. Uh, our fears, our, our beliefs, uh, some of our, maybe our defaults that we have, some incorrect thinking that we might have. And I said the plan was to come back this week and put some feet on it, do some practical ideas of what this could look like. And it's true. But here's a little disclaimer. If you're anything like me, and hopefully you're not. That'd be a bad thing. But if you're anything like me, you're not going to be satisfied when we're done here. Because you're looking for this perfect formula, the silver bullet, the thing that's going to work in all situations and circumstances. It's going to be the answer for everything, and that's not how it works. Because God made us all unique. He made us all different. And so... What I might be like in presenting something is completely different than what Corey might be, right? And Dustin might receive it completely different than what Kayla might. Like, everybody's just so different. God wired us differently. And because that's because he doesn't want cookie-cutter Christianity. He made us all in unique ways. And he wants us to walk in the fullness of how he's made us. And to do it with him. To be in a relationship with him. Right? To depend on him. And that's the goal. So if we try to push things into a formula, which we are often really good at trying to do, but when we push it into a formula, then where is our trust? Where is our trust? You guys awake today? It's in us. It's in a formula, isn't it? And we're not depending on God. We're not depending on him to lead us. So we're going to take some principles, and I want us to be present to God about, about how he's speaking to us individually, and, and ask him to give us an imagination of what this can look like, how we can apply it in our individual life circumstances, because it's going to be different. So we're going to take some of these principles, we're going to see how this can work. So real quick review here, uh, the last few weeks we've tried to hammer out this point that lost people matter to God, right? And God wants them found, because he cares about them. And Pastor John introduced uh, a couple weeks ago some different methods of evangelism. And we want to give credit again to Gravity Leadership for helping us uh, give this kind of model. But we talked about this graph here. So this vertical line going up and down is our grace line. So as we go higher up, that's a higher grace. And the horizontal line is truth. And the farther right we go, it's high truth. So he talked about strong-arm evangelism, which is low-grace, high-truth. Up in the top left is friendship evangelism, which has a lot of grace but is low on truth. And then he talked about no evangelism, which is really low-grace, low-truth, or maybe none at all. And we've kind of been talking a little bit about call-up evangelism, and that's what we're going to talk about more today. This is, this is how Jesus did evangelism. It's high-grace and high-truth. But what does that look like? 
What does that look like? And again, I just want to say that this is something I'm growing in. It's an area that I'm growing in, and I don't have all the answers. And the truth is that I may just be a little bit ahead of some of you guys, but I'm likely behind others of you. I know I am, and for some reason I'm the one up here talking, so go figure. But I'm just beginning to develop an imagination for what this looks like. And what this does is it frees me from some of these rigid kind of methods we've had in the past. So it, in, it's really easier in a sense, but it's also it's a lot harder because it forces me to be present to people. Like I have to listen. I have to really listen and be present to them. I can't be thinking about what I'm going to say next. I can't be thinking about what I'm doing after. I've got to listen and try to listen to their heart, what they're really saying. And I've got to be present both to them and to God as he reveals what opportunity he might be opening up. And I have to care about people, right? So he said call up is high grace, high truth. And this is how Jesus did outreach. And I want to begin by defining high grace and high truth. Did everybody get notes? Take some notes. Anybody need some notes? Looks like you're all good? Okay, good. So high grace, high truth. Uh, We're going to think of grace as invitation. Invitation, presence, relationship. Invitation, presence, and relationship. High grace involves a high degree of each of these things. And when we look at Jesus, we see that he was present to people wherever he was. On the way, as he was walking by people and they reached out to him, he was present with everybody in his path, which is amazing, right? And then when we we look at truth, we look at truth as challenge. Truth as challenge or, or proclamation, And Jesus proclaimed truth. He never said things just to appease people. The Bible says he was full of grace and truth. And the Apostle John writes in John chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, of course, is Jesus. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Right. So this high grace and high truth quadrant is the way that Jesus operated. It is the way of love. It's the way of love. Love is the way of Jesus. And so high grace and high truth then equals love. That's how we love people. Why do you think friendship evangelism might not be considered love? This is the interactive part. Why would friendship evangelism might not be considered love? It's high grace and low truth. Adam. There's no challenge for growth. There's no challenge for growth. Right. Other ideas, thoughts? You can try to make people just comfortable in order to um, lower our stress or how long we're talking to them. Yes. Yes. Because we want to make people feel comfortable because it lowers our stress level. Yes. So here's, here's some things just to fill in your notes. Friendship evangelism is not love because we are too focused on trying to make people comfortable or happy. And when we allow people to be comfortable, how many of you know that that's not always love? Right? Because it's not loving people enough to proclaim and speak truth in their lives. Because we are typically more concerned about what they think about us than we are in their ultimate welfare. And so while there's a high degree of presence and relationship, 
our ultimate concern is selfish. Because I'm more concerned about my friendship, my relationship with them. It becomes about me. And I'm not looking out for their best interests. I'm thinking of myself because I don't want to lose them as a friend and tell them something that might be hard for them to take. Folks are trying to make people feel comfortable, not loving them enough to proclaim and speak truth. And because of that, our ultimate concern is selfish. What about strong-arm evangelism? Why might that not be love? We can turn people off, yes, absolutely. What are some other reasons? We talked about, Adam. Often we're trying to force change. We're trying to use tactics, coerce, manipulate. Bob. Yes, it's about the mission. It's about the task, not about the people. Good. Good. So, that reminds me of the guy on the street corner with the signs and everybody's going to hell. Yeah, isn't that great? That's very effective, right? Holding a sign on the street corner, you're going to hell. There's a lot of grace in there. A lot of love. Thank God Jesus didn't do that kind of thing. So just to, to help you fill out your, your blanks, strong arm evangelism is not love because it hammers people with truth. And really it ends up beating them up. It can beat them up. And here's the thing, this is largely what the church is known for. Judgmental, hypocritical, anti-this, anti-that. We beat people up really good sometimes. And we weaponize scripture. We weaponize it, often trying to coerce people into making a decision. And we continually point people to their sin, which most people are already acutely aware of. Really. And in the process of this, we fail to show them the love of Jesus. So rather than loving people, our goal is about winning an argument. And then in order to win the argument, then we have to be right. We have to be right. So we kind of put ourselves in a win-lose situation. And again, our ultimate concern is selfish because we're putting the mission, we're putting the task above the person, above the relationship. And that's why that's not love. Is that making sense? So high truth, low grace is what the Pharisees did in the time of Jesus. And Jesus said that they crushed people with unbearable demands and never left a finger to ease the burden. That's what the Pharisees did. But isn't it so good that Jesus meets us right where we are? And he loves us the way that we are, inviting us into a relationship with him and also loving us enough that he wants more for us. So I want to look at a few examples of Jesus in Scripture just to kind of get a picture of what this looks like, this call-up kind of thing. Uh, Let's look at the calling of the disciples in Luke chapter 5. So Peter and his crew are in the water on a boat fishing all night. They fish all night. They don't catch anything, right? And then so Jesus comes in the morning and says, Peter, go back into the water. Just go a little deeper this time and throw your nets out there again. And Peter thinks, you're nuts, Jesus. Like, what are you talking about? We just did this. We were there all night. We caught nothing. But after some hesitation, he went out there. They put their nets into the water and there were so many fish there that they could barely lift it up. It was tearing the nets. And so Peter comes back And he goes to Jesus and he says, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. And I thought that's interesting because 
what does this have to do with Peter's sin? Why would he say that? And I think that when we're confronted with the power and the presence of Jesus, that our sin lays naked before us. It's completely exposed before us. But notice Jesus doesn't point out Peter's sin and say, hey, yeah, you're right, Peter. You need to get your act together. He doesn't say that. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And he invites him into relationship with him. And he challenges him to change. It's a high grace, high truth. The, the calling of, of Matthew the tax collector, that's in Matthew chapter 9. If you want, you can look at that on your own. Um, the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 is another example. Uh, there's this young man that comes running up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher! He kneels down and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him to follow the commandments. And the young man says, I have done this since I was young. And what I think is really cool, in verse 21, Jesus, it says that Jesus felt genuine love for him. He felt genuine love for him. And he says, there is still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. This idea of invitation and challenge, grace and truth. Follow me, invitation. Go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. It's a challenge. There's an example of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. The, the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. There's a woman caught in the very act of adultery. Caught in the act. And so the religious leaders bring her to Jesus. Notice they didn't bring the man. They left him alone. But they brought this woman. And they said, she's been caught in the very act of adultery. The law says to stone her. What do you say? Remember what he says? Let him who is not without, who, who, him who is without sin cast the first stone. And every man there, one by one, dropped their stone. And what did Jesus say to the woman? Woman, where are, you, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Grace and truth, invitation and challenge. And I don't think we probably get the whole story in there, in the Bible. Like, it kind of leaves it there, but I am pretty sure she was so amazed and in awe of this man who had such love and compassion and mercy that she began to go and check out who this, who this Jesus was. And she began to follow him. Yeah? And I just want to look at one last one. This is a familiar story to those of us who've been in church a long time. Peter on the water. Right? This is, this is great. Um, does anybody ever think that Jesus has a sense of humor? I think this shows the, the funny side of Jesus. You've got the disciples on a boat in the middle of water all by themselves at night. It's dark. It's pitch black, Right? And so what other reason would Jesus come out there in the night, in the dark, but to freak them out and scare them? So they see this image and they're terrified. They think it's a ghost. They're freaking out. And I think Jesus is having fun with this. So here's, here, here's the, the kind of life lesson. If I've ever scared you, if I've ever scared you, it's not because I'm trying to be mean or anything like that. I'm just trying to be more like Jesus. Okay? 
I'm just trying to be more like Jesus. But Jesus goes out there, and finally the disciples recognize him. And Peter says, Jesus, tell me to come out to you on the water. And, and Jesus says, come. And so Peter gets up on the water, and he's walking on the water. And then he starts to look at the wind and the waves. And as he looks at it, he starts to get scared, and he starts to sink. And he gets in the water. And, and Matthew writes that Jesus immediately reached out and grabs Peter. And he lifts them up. And I wish, I wish we could get a full picture of what this looks like because I could see Jesus with such joy on his face as he lifts them up out of the water and saying, Peter, you were doing so well, man. What happened? You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Because Jesus is so full of love. It's not a condemning, it's not a condescending thing, but he's full of joy. And it's this idea of invitation and challenge. Truth, grace. It's meeting people where they're at. It's inviting them into a relationship with no preconditions or strings attached. Proclaiming truth, but not necessarily in a confrontative way. You love people enough to invite them into a relationship. Proclaim truth, and you allow them to make their own decisions. There's no coercion or manipulation. It's this idea of whatever you decide to do, I'm going to be there, I'm going to be your friend, and I'm going to love you. And we get this idea that, that grace and truth is like a balancing act, where like if I apply a little truth, I've got to kind of balance it out on grace, right? And that's not really the way it works. Jesus used this as a wide-open playing field. It's a wide-open playing field, and it's all motivated by love. And this is why we need the Holy Spirit to really guide us in this. We need his grace and truth in our lives because we can't do this on our own. We can't do it on our own. We need to depend on him and allow him to guide us. Because anytime we try to do things on our own, it ends up being selfish one way or another. But Jesus calibrated grace and truth depending on the situation, depending on the person. And when we look at Jesus, we find that he was much higher truth and a little less grace when speaking to who? Yeah, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, those who were proud, the ones who thought that they had all the answers, the ones who condemned people and laid heavy burdens on them. And who did he extend much grace to? Yeah, very high grace on the sinners, those on the outside, the outcasts. And in all of this, we see a picture of love. And you notice Jesus never had a, a, a spiel that he recited to each person. He didn't do that. There wasn't a magic formula. We see that he connects with them right where they are. And I think that's important. I think that's important to, to note because when we see God, when we picture God, we need to look at him through the lens of Jesus. We need to look at him through the lens of Jesus because a lot of us have a really jacked up view of who God is where he's up on this cloud and he's ready to throw lightning bolts at us as soon as we mess up or do something wrong, right? Or, or maybe he's just distant, faraway God. He doesn't really care about the affairs of people. He's just off in the distance. But we need to see him through the lens of Jesus. Paul writes in Colossians that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. In Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Christ is the expression of the living God. And through Jesus, we see the character of God. Through Jesus, we know what God is like because we've seen him in the Son.
And Jesus himself said that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So when we want to know what God is like, we need to look at Jesus. The perfect expression of the Godhead in full. So the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Are people looking for a way to get into heaven when they die? If they're dying, sure, absolutely. But are most people looking for that? I don't think they are. So why do we offer them something that they're not even looking for? Why is that the bridge that we just say, hey, are you at the place in your spiritual life where you knew that if you died today you would go to heaven? Because they're not thinking about that. They don't care. They're thinking about now. And here's the, the, the thing. Every single person has a God-sized hole in their heart. Right? We've heard this. Those of us who have been in church for a long time, every single person has a God-sized hole in their heart. And that's true because that's how God made us. He gave us something that only he can fill, that only he can satisfy, that only he can give meaning to because he wants relationship with us, because he wants connection with us. It can't be filled by any other thing, even though we try to go out and do all this crazy stuff in order to find it. People are looking for Jesus even if they don't know it. And the gospel is not that, that we're saved when we die. It's not that we get to go to heaven when we die. The gospel is that we have a God who loves us so much, is always present to us, always hears us, is always with us, and wants the right relationship with us. And he it meets us right here in the now. People aren't concerned about what happens when they die. They're concerned about right now. They're looking for love. So many people are looking for love. They're looking for significance, for purpose, for connection, for freedom from worry and fear, freedom from hiding, where they can just be themselves. They're looking for hope for a better tomorrow. Here's just a few examples just from this week as I've talked to people. I talked to a young mom earlier this week. She's, she's uh, in a, a long and messy divorce. There are kids involved and she is hurting, and she's broken, and she's desperate, trying to find hope. She feels alone and isolated, and she's seeking answers, but she doesn't want to dump all of her stuff on other people. She doesn't want to dump it on other people. And what does the gospel say to her in her situation right now? Because she's not thinking about what happens when she dies. She's thinking about right now, trying to make sense of life right now. Hope, peace, relief, love. And what would it look like to love her right where she's at, right in these moments, and share the love of Jesus? You know, this idea that God loves you more than you could ever know, that he has promised to be with you, that there's a, he wants relationship, he made you for this. Like, how do we speak to her in terms that she can understand in her present situation? That no matter what, he wants to be there with her, walking this through her, through this with her. Not that everything is going to be easy, but that he cares, he loves, and she doesn't have to hide 
That's the gospel. I talked to another mama. She's wrestling with division in her family. And she came in and she's wanting so much to see restoration in her family. She is exhausted, physically and emotionally exhausted and so hurting. And she's put so much pressure on herself to try and fix this, to try and make things happen. And the reality is that she has no control over it. She's got no control. So how does the gospel speak to her? This idea that God is a God of relationship. He cares about this more than she does. And he's always working. And it's not up to her. Like he wants to lift this burden from her and take it. I talked to a dad who's recognizing that he reacts angrily to his kids and sometimes he disciplines in ways that aren't the healthiest or not really loving and he wants to change. There is gospel. That's a gospel moment where if we dig into that, we can talk about some gospel kinds of things. I talked to another woman this week. She's young. She just found out that her dad might have cancer. And she's scared. Her family is scared. How does the gospel meet them? Because she doesn't know what to do. And so when these types of things come up, when people begin to open up and share with us, things start to get uncomfortable, right? They get a little awkward. And what is our response? Because there's this tension that comes in that we immediately want to resolve. You want to take the tension away. But God is often using these moments to connect into their hearts. And oftentimes we'll stop listening to them and we'll start thinking of what we're going to say next. How, how can we fix this problem? How can we solve this? How can we make this awkwardness go away? And we think that we have to have the right answer when there really is none. When there really is none. But what does it look like just to love just to be with them there in that moment. To really listen to the cry of their heart. To listen to them, not just to find something to talk about, but to listen. And this can mean leaning into the discomfort. Going deeper into that discomfort. And asking heart questions. The desires, the, the motives, the, the, the feelings, all this stuff that they're going through. Asking deep, personal questions. And that's what Jesus was a master of because it helps us identify where they really are, what they're hoping for, what they're longing for, what they're afraid of. And we're just going to be present to them. We don't have all the answers, so why do we pretend? Right? And sometimes we feel like we have to have all of our stuff together or pretend that we do. And we've all got junk. So why do we put up this facade like everything is perfect, like everything is okay? We can love them. Pray with them. Just pray with them. And in that simple act of love, we point them to Jesus. And Jesus already knows our every need. So we can dig into these kinds of things with people. There are opportunities to share with them the love of Jesus contextualizing in a way that's meaningful to them in that moment, right where they're at, and sharing our own stories of how Jesus met us and walked with us in difficult situations. And again, that might require us to be vulnerable, to let some of our walls come down and expose some things, to be true, authentic, might require us to go through things with them, in a sense, to carry some of that burden, to be a physical demonstration of God's love.
That's all Jesus tells us to do is to love people. Love God, love people. And to see, most people won't quickly engage in those conversations. They won't share things like that with you. That's why it requires invitation, connection, relationship, all these kinds of things. Authenticity. So last week, I, I named some, some bad news that I was believing when it comes to evangelism. I felt like I had to, to be somebody I'm not and do something I don't want to do. And I felt like it was just one more thing that I had to add to my place. And I was like, how can I possibly do this? How can I possibly get out there and reach people when it's just one more thing? And the thing is, many of us feel uncomfortable just walking up to a complete stranger and talking about our faith, right? Or having a gospel presentation. We're uncomfortable with that. And that's okay. For those of you that love to do that and get excited about that, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. There's a lot of us that struggle. But how can we develop an imagination for what this can look like? And again, we're all different. But the key in any place, in whatever we're doing, is to be intentional. We have to be intentional. Wherever we're at, in any space that we're at, with whoever comes in front of us, we want to be intentional. Paul writes this in Colossians. He says, Pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. He says, pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. And then he says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Be intentional. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. May that be our prayer as we move into different spaces praying for God to open our eyes to the work that he's already doing. Like, we don't have to manufacture something. We don't have to make something happen that isn't there. God is already working. He's already doing the heavy lifting. And he's going to place opportunities in our past where we can just step into what he's already doing. We might be able to, to plant a seed in somebody's life. We might be able to water a seed that someone else has already planted. Just continuing this, this work that God is already doing. It's not up to us. It's not our job to convince people. And it's not our job, it's not our job to get somebody to say the prayer. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We just want to participate in what God's doing already. So the question is, how can we love those who come in our path in a way that points them to Jesus and allows us to be who we are? How can we do that? So when we begin, let's look at relationships that we already have. These are networks that we're already in, places we're already in, people we're already connected to. Um, I got this list from Outreach Magazine. One is family, familial. We all have families. We all have connections to them. We all have places, spaces that we can look for God working so that we can participate with them in our families. We've got geographical, people in our neighborhood, people that we pass as we go in and out of our house, as we're um, doing a barbecue with friends, or as we're, God forbid, gardening or something like that. Vocational. A lot of us are spending more time with our co-workers than we are with our families, 
right? We're working with them 40, 50, 60 hours a week. There's great opportunities in there if we are intentional and just are listening to God and looking at some of the opportunities that he places in front of us. Recreational, where we just go and hang out. We go to a game. We go and have fun. We go and have dinner or whatever it is. All these different spaces. And commercial, just the people that you're going to at Walmart or Target. You might see the same faces over and over again in some of your spaces. These are great people to connect with. They're already in our lives. And we have rhythms already, so we just want to look at these rhythms and try to be intentional where we're at. Again, leaving the hard work up to God, we want to join him where he's working. And on your notes, I've included some questions that might help probe, that might help things go deeper. If you have conversations, hopefully they'll help. If not, I guess you can throw them away. But ultimately, ultimately we're, we're looking for people of peace. We're looking for people of peace. Mac McCarthy talked about this in August when he was preaching. People of peace are people that are open to you, people are open to us, and they're open to relationship. Not forcing things. But notice again, these are relationships we already have. And I'm not suggesting that we add an hour to our schedule every day or even every week to try to make things happen. These are places we're in just trying to be intentional. Creating rhythms in our lives that allow us to demonstrate God's love. Because, like, if you look at the stories of Jesus, so many of his encounters with people came as he was on the way. He had no intentions of being with this person, but he was on the way somewhere else. And God put somebody across his path an opportunity to participate in what God was doing, right? Jesus said, I do only what I see my Father doing. God was working. And as he was on the way, there's lots of opportunities where Jesus stepped into. So here's, here's what this looks like for me. And again, I'm, I'm new at this. Um, I talked last week about my neighborhood. I realize my neighborhood is this giant mission field and I'm completely missing it. Right? Here's the reality. I cannot connect with people in my neighborhood, at least in this season of my life. I don't see them. Um, There are little opportunities to get in front of them outside of doing the knocking on the door thing, which I'm not sure that that's the right thing yet. But what I am doing is I'm trying to be intentional about when I do see them, where I can try to make some conversation, try to go out, connect, whatever, and see what comes from that, being intentional in that. What I did notice is that I'm at BioLife twice a week, pretty much every week, selling my body for money, my plasma for money. And I connect with people there all the time, workers all the time. And I can be intentional about that. And in the past, I've I've gone and I've just kind of closed myself off. I've done my own thing. But I'm being intentional. So what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to get in this rhythm of remembering when I go into new spaces to be present and ask God, like, God, I want to see where you're working. Put opportunities in my past. Like, let me see what you're doing so I can step into these. So that's what I do. And then when I go in, I'm having conversations with people. I'm being intentional. And it's really cool because a lot of, I'm having much deeper conversations than I've had in the past. I'm having spiritual conversations. And the hard thing for me sometimes is to correct people when they start talking about really weird spiritual things. Like, what? That doesn't make any, you know, and I want to correct them. 
But I'm trying not to do that because once I correct them and I tell them they're wrong, it's going to shut them down. But what I do, what I, is important to me is I want them to understand the character of God. And so if they don't have that right, I want to help straighten that out a little bit so that they can have a better picture of who God is. Right? But I'm trying to have conversations with them. And here's a weird thing that I did because of Mac McCarthy again, who was preaching in August. And this is kind of creepy, so don't like get weird on me. Like it, it's just it's creepy. I'm I'm making logs of people. I'm keeping a log of who I'm talking to and exactly what we're talking about. Is that creepy? A little bit. I'm being intentional. I am. Thank you so much. Thank you. So I'm being intentional. But the thing is, like. I don't see some of these guys for like weeks after I've connected with them because there's a lot of people there, but I want them to know that I care enough about them to remember what we talked about with last time. And then I can use these conversations as a springboard into them and check with them. Hey, how's your dad doing? You mentioned he was in the hospital. What happened? How's that going? Where we start to build connection, we start to build a relationship, and we can continue the conversation rather than just starting something off like, as like brand new. So these are areas that I'm doing. I'm trying to create some new rhythms. Um, rather than just working in the office here, I'm getting out and I'm working at Starbucks once or twice a week. Okay, I like coffee. It's good. But it's also a good place to just to get out with people. And I'll tell you, man, the Starbucks workers, they are busy. Busy. It is hard to have a conversation with these guys. There's just constant go, go, go. There's cars going in and out. People just, it's tough. And I think I'm just starting to get to the point where I'm getting like facial recognition and kind of just starting. But I'm having conversations with other people that come in here that I haven't seen in a long time or that maybe I know from like a face from some other thing that it's the way that I'm trying to get out and just be intentional instead of being locked up in a room. And I'm getting involved with big brothers, big sisters, which technically is one more thing. But it's something I can easily fit into the rhythms of my life. I can't do like the, the traditional buddy where it's three hours, I think, on an evening or a weekend because my nights are usually covered and my weekends are tough. But I can be a lunch buddy and just meet with them once a week. And my hope is that I'm not going to just connect with the student, but I want to connect with his circle of friends if I can, and hopefully maybe with his family and the teachers around and just see what God might open up in those spaces. And those are things I'm doing. And again, everybody's different. Everybody's unique. All we are called to do is just to love people. High grace, high truth. Look for these God opportunities and find ways to connect with people. But lost people matter to God. And I just want to participate in this mission. How about you? How about you? And, and what might that look like in your situations, in your rhythms that you're already in? What does that look like in your life? So I'm going to invite up Bill Kerwin, who is not old. He's, he's eternal. He's already got the microphone. Bill is a great guy. And Bill, like, when I talk about people who have done this and are ahead of me, like, Bill is, like, light years. And he's just been doing this for so long in his life. His, like, it's just a natural expression of who he is. And I think anybody who knows Bill, like, know that about him. Like, he just... He has a way. He lifts you up. He encourages and he points to God in everything. And it's just so cool. But there's just some... Your lips shake. You okay? No. Okay. He doesn't like it when I talk about him. But he just, he's had some really cool opportunities in his neighborhood that we just wanted to have him share what he's doing in his rhythms with his personality. All right, thanks.
I'll take over from you. Gotcha. He's not a salesman. He doesn't know what's in. Um, yeah, it's, they were asking me to do that. I shared something in the back. But to set it up, I have four grandchildren. There, one's in college, two are 17, and one is 13. And they all live in the area, but to connect with them, I text them every day. Every morning, they get a text from me. Not all of them at once, but every day, four days, and then another one gets one again. So, um, so I, I've been doing that, and, and I, I tell them I'm praying for them, and I ask them, is there anything I can pray for for them? And um, if you're familiar with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we all seem to know that one real well, but 10 sort of gives the reason why. And that is, we've been created, we've saved to, um, God has prepared beforehand good deeds for us to do. So I would text them and say, hey, watch for God. He has a good deed for you to do today. And uh, so then when I'd see him, I ask him, well, you know, it's funny, we can tell people to do things, but then God tells us, well, Bill, you're supposed to do that too. So, you know, I was doing that. And so we have some neighbors in, in the community, in our neighborhood. And by the way, I'm like that other guy. I know every couple in our neighborhood. God has allowed, after 19 years, to know everyone. So um, if you know me, I'm an A personality, so it's real easy for me to do that. So my wife is an introvert, and it's not easy for her. So God always puts two opposite people together so that together we're better. Mm -hmm. Right? Together we're better. So anyhow, um, uh, I have some neighbors, and um, some two new couples moved into the neighborhood in the last two years. And I saw one guy go by, and he's got a boat. And he had a little trolling motor on it. And I had bought a boat, and I replaced the trolling motor, so I have it in the basement. And I was wondering, I wonder what I had to do with that extra trolling motor. Well, and all of a sudden, this guy drives by, and I go, Lord says, why don't you give him your trolling motor? That'd be easier than trying to sell it. So I did. So I walked over to the guy. I didn't know his name. He'd been there a while. We waved. But I said, hi, my name is Bill. He said, oh, my name's Luke. And it's nice to meet you. Welcome to the neighborhood. I said, I noticed you like the fish. Oh, yeah, I love the fish. I said, I have a question. Could you use a bow mount trolling motor? I've been wanting one for a couple years. I'd love one, but my wife won't let me buy one right now. And then I said, well, come over to my house. I have one. If you like it, it's yours. Well, we're friends. <laughs> so that was cool. And now we've had the family over. We've met the kids and had a great time getting to know them. In fact, this last Tuesday, I had six guys over to the house for just a guy's night, hang out together and and um, really enjoyed, and three of them were my neighbors. So God is working. This is not what I did. This is what God is doing. This is what God wants to do in every one of us. Well, now there's another neighbor who lives a little bit away, and last summer we split wood together, so I got to know him. So we invited them over, and actually we went out to dinner with them, and had a good time and had fun. And now they came over to the house. We know their kids. The kids know us. We now have a relationship that we're praying to where God's going to take this. And then I just want to share one more thing. Pastor Dan, who used to be the pastor here, passed away just a few months ago. Or maybe a month ago. Um, he would always go out to dinner 
and ask the waitress or waiter if there's anything I can pray for for you because we pray for a meal. So I took that on for years now. Mary and I go out to dinner. We'll ask the waiter or waitress, we're going to pray for a meal. Is there anything we can pray for you? Well, you get a lot of interesting responses to that. More often than not, you get good ones. So we were out just last month with another couple from church, asked a question. The lady just was very responsive. She was sort of overwhelmed. And she asked us to pray for a guy named Justin who was going through some real dark emotional time. So she left. We held hands, bowed our heads, and prayed. She came back so overwhelmed with tears in her eyes that she wanted to hug every one of us and thank us that we would be willing to pray for her friend. That was amazing. Well, God wasn't done that. So Monday, this was a Friday night, so Monday I go to an appointment I had to meet, an appointment. I go in and there's this lady, same waitress, is sitting behind the counter on Monday. We saw each other. I said, God's doing something here, isn't he? And she said, yeah, what is this? So anyhow, she then tells everybody in the place about what we did and prayed. And then um, she told me she has a future husband named Jason. He had back surgery. So we've been praying for that. I don't know what God has planned with that. But she has my name and my phone number. And I said, let me know how Justin's doing. And maybe we can get together, you and your husband, when you get married or whatever, and we can build a relationship. All of that was done, not by me. I just was open. So I encourage you, God has a plan. Every day, it says it in Ephesians 2.10, for good works for you to do. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to encourage you like I do my grandkids. Keep your eyes open. Keep your heart open. And give love to people God brings to you. Is that good? Perfect. All right. Let's yeah. go out and do something. Yes. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. So let's, let's, what's that? Oh, God. So we can do this. Again, the results aren't up to us. We just want to be open to what God's doing, be intentional about the spaces he's put us in, and let our uniqueness, however he's made us, connect with people in a way that's natural and shows the love of Jesus. Yeah? God's good. He's doing all the hard work. We just get to participate. To invite you to look at some of these spaces in our lives this week. I'm sure there's been people that he's already bringing to our attention as we're listening, different situations in life, maybe like he's sparked some new ideas and